As, as Tim said, please turn to Luke 11. Uh, a couple things I want to pray for just as we start. Uh, number one, I want to pray for the Simmons family. Uh, pray for the celebration of life uh, this, this week and uh, pray that, uh, that it's uh, effective. There's a lot of people going to be tuning in who aren't believers, don't know the gospel. We're praying that, um, that they're impacted by that. Also, uh, you may have heard already that the Kistner family is home. Uh, praise God. They were down in Tennessee for Isaiah's treatment, and uh, we were a little nervous about them coming through the border. The border went great. They're all home. They're going to be, uh, I think, uh, isolating for a couple weeks, but praise God, the treatment went well for little Isaiah and, and that they're back. So let's begin uh, with a word of prayer, and then we'll get into our text. Lord God, we are uh, thankful for uh, the good news that uh, the Kister family is home. Thankful that, um, that the treatment went really well. Thankful for all the doctors down there in Tennessee. Um, I, I pray, Lord, for continued healing for little Isaiah. I pray uh, that the cancer would be gone from his body and that he would heal and recuperate well. Um, and I just pray for John and Cassia, Lord. Give them continued strength, uh, continued endurance and perseverance to go down this road. May their faith remain strong, Lord. And uh, I pray, Lord, they would continue to feel uh, supported uh, by us as the church and uh, certainly by you. So we pray for them. Pray also for the Simmons family this week, Lord. Just pray for comfort and grace for Deanne and the kids. And uh, I do pray, Lord, that, um, that as I share and others share at the uh, celebration of life, that as the gospel is proclaimed, the hope of life beyond death, that many people would be impacted, many people would come to faith. So I pray, I pray all these things. I pray for us now, Lord, that you would impact us also through the teaching of your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, I want to begin this morning uh, with a, a, sh a story from my uh, junior high school career. Uh, it was not an illustrious career, uh, but one thing I remember about it, something that came to mind, was my grade 9 science teacher, Mr. Brock. Uh, Mr. Brock was a classic science teacher, uh, always wore lab coat, dark-rimmed glasses. Uh, he spoke uh, a lot like uh, Ben Stein from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. You know, he's like, Bueller, Bueller, that, he was just that kind of a science-y guy. And uh, I remember, though, that there was, one, um, there was one semester when Mr. Brock was sick, uh, very sick. And the, th the thing about it is that we didn't know, uh, you know, the, the word you heard around the school is like, we didn't know what was wrong with him. It wasn't cancer. It wasn't like heart failure. They, they couldn't figure out what was wrong. He was gone for almost the whole semester. And when he came back, because he's a science teacher, he was very excited to tell us what the problem was. Uh, the problem, after many, many, many tests, uh, was that he was allergic to the multivitamin that he was taking. Uh, he had started taking a multivitamin to get better, and uh, it made him worse and worse. I remember in grade nine, just blowing my mind that this thing that was supposed to make him better was making him worse. I just thought it was the greatest, not well, the greatest thing, but I thought it was so interesting. The reason I share that story is that's, that's kind of what we have in our text today. There are these people, the Pharisees, and uh, they are supposed to be very spiritual people, a very spiritual group in Israel. They're supposed to be very helpful in leading people closer to God. But what we find out here in our text is that they actually make things worse and worse and worse because their, their spirituality, their faith, as we're going to find out, looks good on the outside, but on the inside, it's, it's full of wickedness and sin and, and corruption. And it's very clear from this text that Jesus has no patience for it. Uh, so when one of the Pharisees invites him over to dinner, he takes it as an opportunity to expose their faith for what it is, to criticize them publicly. In fact, he's barely seated at the table, or in their case, reclined at the table, before he provokes the issue. So that's where everything begins. Um, I'm going to read through a little bit at a time today. And we're going to have three points that correspond with three things, three criticisms that Jesus has for the Pharisees. But let's begin, uh, verse 37, where you see kind of how the scene starts out. 
and it doesn't start out well. Verse 37, while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. Now we're going to stop there. This is a very big deal. It doesn't seem like that big a deal um, because for us, washing our hands, I mean, before COVID, we didn't really think of it that much. Of course, you're supposed to wash your hands. But for them, for the Pharisees, it was a very, very big deal. They were, he was astonished. He was just gasped that Jesus you know, reached for the hummus before washing his hands. He couldn't believe it because for Pharisees, washing, like actual cleanliness, was really next to godliness. Um, this, this stemmed from instructions from God himself. Uh, he established ritual washing so that when the priests would go into the temple, it would, it would symbolize their need to be purified before they entered the presence of God. Uh, there were also other things that God instituted to differentiate between cleanness and uncleanness. The uncleanness was in the world and purity in the world. And the idea was that God is holy and pure and his people should be holy and pure. So that was all good. That was all established by God. But the Pharisees, the scribes, the lawyers, we're going to see them next week. They added to these regulations. They added a whole bunch of instructions about all sorts of uh, aspects of life. And one of the things was hand washing in the Mishnah where they, they, they give instructions uh, in terms of how, you know, holy living for the Jewish people. There was like paragraph after paragraph for how to wash your hands. You had to put the water so high, but not too high. And there was always ways that it could be clean or unclean. I mean, it was, it was a very big deal. For the Pharisees, just washing your hands became central to their understanding of spiritual living. So in their minds, they were like, how could, how could this rabbi, this supposedly man of God, not even wash before he started to eat dinner? It just, they, they, they probably, their mouths were hanging open, I'm sure, when Jesus did this. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He, he, he goes further. And um, he does it because he knows that while the Pharisees have seemed very spiritual, in fact, on the inside, they were not at all. So here's verse 39 and 41. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give his alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. So what he's saying basically is that the, the Pharisees have a stellar reputation for godliness, but it's all on the outside. I mean, they really honed their skills, making sure that everything that people could see was very, very uh, righteous looking. And yet on the inside, they paid no attention to their hearts. So there's all manner of wickedness and, and uncleanness in their hearts. And so Jesus, he smashes a hole through this whole way of thinking by telling them, reminding them, hey, look, didn't God also create the inside of you? In fact, for those who knew the Old Testament, which they did, they would know that, that actually God has much more to say about the inside of a person than the outside of a person. Here's what God said uh, when David was chosen king. Uh, remember this, he said in 1 Samuel 16, uh, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So you can imagine the mood of the room at this point. Uh, instead of a nice you know, uh, evening get together, instead of some light conversation, instead of the Pharisees being able to kind of look down their nose at Jesus, that's really what they wanted, Jesus had challenged the very integrity of their faith. So it was very tense in the room. And, and Jesus, you know, he, he doesn't mind tension when it needs to be there. So he goes even further and he pronounces three woes upon the Pharisees. Woes are expressions of distress and sorrow. You know, woe is me, people say. 
And so what he's really saying is you have a woeful faith. And um, he says three woes, and I'm going to give a title for each one so we can understand and then pull out some applications uh, that were true for them and also are true for us. So first woe, woe number one, was a warped perspective. A warped perspective. Here's, um, here's what he says, verse 42. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So um, the situation that he's talking about here is tithing, uh, financial giving. Uh, this was a good thing. Uh, something instituted by God. Uh, tithe means a tenth. Uh, you were to give uh, to the temple, to the synagogue, and, and to the church. Um, it's a way of honoring the Lord. It's a way of supporting the ministry. The Pharisees were famous for their tithing. They didn't just do what God commanded. They, they even tithe their uh, herbs, their mint. Their, 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 um, back then, that was sort of a form of currency. They were very valuable, but it was nothing in the law of God that said you had to tithe on your, on your sage or your parsley, but that's what they would do. So they would go above and beyond. Um, and Jesus noticed, he says, that's a good thing. He said, that's fine. The problem though, is that um, you can honor, if you honor the Lord just in this one thing, but neglect an even larger command of God, which was to do justice and to love others, then you're not really honoring God. Because this is what they would do. They would make a big show in the synagogue of giving, you know, their big bag of money because they were very wealthy. And then when someone would come to them for help, uh, a neighbor and saying, hey, could, could you help me out? They would, they would tell them to take a hike. They'd be like Scrooge. They, they were greedy in that way. They'd consider that money to be theirs and they wouldn't show love. They wouldn't show concern. If there was someone in their community that um, needed help, they wouldn't use any of their resources to deal injustice for someone who was taken advantage of. So what Jesus is saying is, look, even if you're faithful in tithing, you can't claim to be honoring God with your life if you're neglecting the greater command to love the people around you. It's not either or, it's both and. You should, you should tithe and you should care for the people around you. So, of course, there's a couple um, of layers of application here. The first one, quite obviously, is that th this, this remains true for us. That we should be a people, if you're a Christian, a follower of God, uh, who tithe regularly, sacrificially, uh, but also who care for those in need. Uh, this is why we mention giving uh, pretty much every Sunday. And we do it at a time when we're entering into worship. Because it is uh, rightly understood as worship. It's not a due. It's not a membership fee. It's, it's your giving back to God. You're honoring him with a, a portion of what he's given you and you're supporting the ministry of the church. You're advancing the kingdom. Uh, this is part of the way that we, we say to the Lord, look, I trust you before I trust anything you gave me. It's honoring to God in that way. Uh, the other aspect of this is, in our case, a benevolent fund. This is money that's given above and beyond the tithe. And uh, today happens to be Benevolent Sunday. And we do that so that we can have some, some funds at the ready for people in need. And we've been able to help a lot of people in the church and community uh, through that fund. Uh, but it's not just through the, the sort of the church as an organization. Really, this is a call for us to respond in need graciously, generously with those uh, who have need. So if there's, if there's someone in our lives who we, we see them in need, we see an issue of justice, the, the call of God here is that we are people who respond fully, readily, gladly, no matter what uh, it costs us. That should be a mark of our spirituality. But I want to go a little deeper to look at um, something I think Jesus is pointing out in terms of their perspective. Uh, remember I said they have a warped perspective. Uh, perspective in, in drawing uh, has everything to do with size. 
right? Um, objects, how big they are in relationship to each other. So if you're drawing, you know, one of those um, vanishing point drawings, uh, kids like to do this, I like to do this, where you, the, the road goes off into the distance. The way to make it look good is if the size of the things gets smaller, right? Big lampposts, medium-sized lampposts, tiny lampposts, it looks like it's going off into the distance. If the size is different or messed up, it doesn't look right. If, if you have the smaller lamppost really close and then the bigger lamppost there, the perspective is off. The size is off. And that's what's happening to the Pharisees. They've, got, they've gotten the size all wrong in terms of the things that are truly important to God. They've taken a little thing like tithing on your spices and they've made it into a big thing, like the mark of spirituality. And then something else that clearly is a big thing to God, loving people, giving, being sacrificial. They've taken that big thing and made it very small. And so what we're seeing here is an issue of, of perspective. It's not that... It's not that um, tithing isn't good or unimportant. It's simply what Jesus is saying here is, look, you've got to keep the big things big and the small things small. And I think if you've been around for the church uh, for any length of time, it'd probably be easy for us to see that this remains a challenge for, for the people of God. That through the years, there have been a lot of small things that Christians have grabbed onto and made into very big things. Uh, music is a classic example. Lots of disagreements, fights in the church over the years about drums or not drums, electrical instruments or not electrical instruments. We have electronic drums, so we would make everyone upset. Um, but the, the, the point is that there would be people who would say, look, you're not a, you can't be a true Christian if you think this kind of music is okay or this kind of music is okay. Uh, same thing with politics today. Not so much here, sometimes here, but certainly in the States, uh, Republican, Democrat, they would attach that to your, a mark of, of spirituality. In the grand scheme of things, these are small things. I think we'd have to add, at this point in time, um, our, in, our response to COVID as something that is, is, is threatening to become a big thing in our lives when, when really in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's small. You, you've seen here sometimes people in the church with the impression that, look, if you, if you think the government's doing a good job or you think they're doing a bad job or the church is responding too strongly or too weakly, that all those kinds of things become markers of real godliness, real spirituality, when in fact, we need to be reminded that there are other things that are so much bigger that unite us, so much bigger that define us, like the word of God, like the gospel of Jesus, like the call on our lives to, to show love to people uh, around us. All of these things are the things that sh should loom large in our mind. We shouldn't get distracted by these other smaller things, though they are important. We should always have the big things as the big things. So, so with this first woe in mind, the question I think we should be asking ourselves is, is there something in my life that I'm allowing to eclipse that the call God has in my life to love other people? Is there something, is there something that, that I'm passionate about that really is a small thing when it comes to uh, the, the gospel, when it comes to the kingdom of God? Are there some ways that, think about it this way, what's, what's always on your mind, on your lips? What are you excited to talk to people about? What are you angry about? Does it have anything to do with, with the sin that exists in our world, the people who are lost, um, with the hope that we have for others that people can't see, or is it, to do with other smaller things. Again, not unimportant things, things we should be concerned about, have opinions about. But the call here for Jesus is for us to have the right perspective, the, the right things and the right size in our lives. That's the first thing. That's the first woe for the Pharisees. The second woe is a wrong focus. 
a wrong focus. Look at verse uh, 43. He says, Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. So the best seats, as you might imagine, are the ones up front. Uh, we've had some people try to arrive early so they get the front row seat for the cars. Fair enough. You can see better. But in the synagogues, actually the very best seats, they were up front and they were facing the congregation. And the Pharisees loved this because they could sit there and they could stroke their beards and look very pious, right? They could think deeply. People would see how holy they are. That's what they wanted. Same thing in the marketplace. When they would greet each other, they wouldn't just say, you know, hi, Eleazar. They would say, hello, uh, Rabbi Eleazar, um, full of Solomon's wisdom, son of Amos, son of Saul, a teacher. And they would go on with all the credentials, all the things that were true about them. They loved it. They loved hearing that, having everyone here look around, right? They're, they're, getting, they're getting a lot of attention. And Jesus is saying, the folk, your focus is all wrong. Your focus is on you, your reputation, your achievements, your glory. He's really talking about pride. And pride, pride always corrupts the human soul. No matter how righteous we may be in other areas of life. And Jesus has very strong words for those that are seeking their own glory. Uh, here's the next verse, John 5, verse 44. He says this, how can you believe? Think about that. He's saying, how can you even have faith? How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? See, that, that's the main issue with pride. It, it's lethal to our faith because we end up living for ourselves rather than God. Especially, it's especially concerning in Christian leaders because it obscures the very thing that they are supposed to be doing, which is to point people to Jesus, point people to the glory, the beauty, the wonder of God. That's the whole purpose of those who are in any teaching ministry, any, any involved, is to say, look, look at the hope that I have. Uh, some of you may have heard that um, uh, Pastor Jeff from Northview, Pastor Jeff Bucknam, uh, announced last week that he is leaving. If you haven't heard, now you have heard. That's very sad for, um, for the Christian community. Frankly, in the Lower Mainland, he's a great biblical teacher. Northview planted us. Uh, he's been a real blessing in, in, in the life of this church. Uh, but I am, um, I'm okay with it. I feel at peace about it because of where he's going. Uh, he's going to a church in Chicago uh, called Harvest Bible Chapel. And Harvest Bible Chapel, a large church there. Uh, if you know anything about that church in the last few years, you know that they've gone through a lot of turmoil. And, and the reason for that turmoil is, uh, is to do with their lead pastor, their former lead pastor, James McDonald, been there for 30 years, very gifted man. Uh, I've been to that church, listened to him in, in years past, a very strong Bible teacher, um, led uh, a large network of churches, really big radio ministry. But sadly, over the last few years, there's been a lot of reports of, um, of poor leadership. Prideful leadership is, is the best way to describe it. Uh, questionable use of church funds. Until finally last year, Harvest Bible Chapel filed, fired James McDonald. He issued a statement of apology. And in the statement, he, he, said, he said that he admitted to careless and hurtful words, uh, a regression into sinful patterns of fleshly anger and self-pity that wounded co-workers and others. So there does, I think, seem to be some manner of repentance, but, but also after that, he did go into, um, into negotiations or, um, well, he went after the church for damages, uh, millions of dollars in damages, uh, property. So it, it's, listen, my point is, uh, it's a mess of a situation 
And that has meant, I'm sure, that the, the message of the church, that the focus, the mission of the church, which, which is the gospel, has no doubt been obscured somewhat by this. Probably a lot. If any of this is going on, leadership troubles in the church, it always hinders the ministry of the church. Anything that anyone knows about people who go to that church, that they hear about it, that they all of a sudden question the integrity of the gospel itself. So this is, this is what Jesus is talking about with the Pharisees. Look, the way that you're, you're leading, it's, it's all about you. It's not allowing what should be happening in the spiritual lives of your, God's people, which is to, to behold the glory of God. Instead, they're being, they're being distracted by all the, the focus you're putting on yourself. So listen, um, we need to pray for Jeff. Uh, he is uh, well-suited for the task. I'm glad he's going there. We need to pray that they would um, right the ship and have the focus on, on the gospel very quickly. And for James and Donna, I'm going to pray at the end for both of those things. But we also need to be on guard. Pride and self-glorification does not just hinder church ministry. It ruins marriages. It, it wrecks family relationships. It wrecks friendships. It gets in the way of the main thing that we're called to do which is to connect people to the, the love and the hope of Jesus. And so in light of this woe, I think it's good that we ask ourselves, what, what is the focus of our lives? People know us. What do they know about us? How do we direct people's attention? Are, are we constantly talking about our needs, our wants, our comforts? Is that the thing that, that is grieving us for the most part? Or are we, are we looking to put all that aside and looking for every opportunity to make Jesus known. That's the second woe, uh, a woe of wrong focus. And it leads to the third. The third woe is this, a harmful influence. A harmful influence. Here's the last verse of our text today, verse 44. Jesus says, Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. Now this is a little uh, strange, it sounds like Jesus is kind of calling them names, right? Unmarked graves. Uh, but we need to understand that he is real, really still speaking here about the nature of their faith. He's saying two things. As graves, uh, what he's saying to them is, <clears throat> look, you're actually dead, spiritually dead on the inside. Uh, like, like a grave, as dead bodies on the inside. In fact, in Matthew uh, chapter 23, his version of this scene, he gives more details about what Jesus said. So he, listen to this. Um, <clears throat> Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So what we see here is Jesus wasn't, he hasn't been pointing out like a small flaw in their faith. He hasn't been saying to them, look, you better be careful or your, your faith is going to die. What he's been saying to them is, look, you aren't even alive yet. You aren't even alive. You're dead. And more than that, notice he's, if he was just saying you're a grave, then he would be saying, look, that's your problem. You got to deal with that. You're dead inside. You think you're alive. You're not, you're not yet. You need to deal with that. But he doesn't just say that. He says they're unmarked graves. That means the problem is not just for them. It's for the whole community. Because here's the thing with graves. Graves were inherently unclean, according to God's people, according to God's law. In Deuteronomy, it said if you came in contact with a, with a dead body, 
which is what graves have inside of them, uh, you would be unclean for seven days. So no one in Israel ever wanted to come in contact with a grave or a dead body if they could help it. And that's why they would whitewash the tomb. So you could, you could see them when you were walking. Uh, there's a little bit of a, uh, a concern for anyone that you might accidentally uh, stumble over an unmarked grave, then you'd be unclean. Maybe you wouldn't know it. Maybe you'd go and touch someone else or, or you know, God forbid, enter the temple. That would be horrible. So unmarked graves were a real concern because you wouldn't know the uncleanness that was now a part of you. And what Jesus is saying to them is, this is you. You are like unmarked graves. How? Because people thought that they had spiritual life. I mean, listen, Pharisees, you had to go on probation for a year to show everyone, to show the other Pharisees how well you could follow the law. If you made it through that entire year of doing everything perfectly or near perfectly, then you might be able to be a Pharisee. So in the minds of God's people, if you wanted to know how to be close to God, everyone knew the answer. Go talk to the Pharisee. They're the, they're the ones who, they're the experts in the law, experts in holy living. I mean, if you want to draw near to God, if you really want spiritual life, you go talk to them. And what Jesus is saying, people are coming to you for life, but you are making them dead because you're just passing on your same superficial, hypocritical faith. You're having a harmful effect on all of the people. This is why Jesus was so hard on them. I mean, if you, if you notice throughout all his ministry, he is always the hardest on the Pharisees, on the teachers of the law, because they were actually hindering everyone getting closer to the Lord. So points of application for us would have been the same as them. First of all, there, there are no excuses for those who are in positions of influence, spiritual influence, who are leading other people farther away from God. And this is a broad category. Of course, it involves pastors and elders, those who are, who are communicating, who are charged with leading the church in godliness, preaching the gospel, and yet if they're not living it, if they're hindering people in their faith, if they have unconfessed sin, this is what Jesus is talking about. Woe on you is what he's saying. But it's also for others um, in positions of influence, uh, youth leaders, uh, our, our children's ministry leaders, community group leaders, all those Bible study leaders who have a position of, of teaching the word, helping people to grow in godliness. If we are not looking at our faith, if we are, if we are hindering people, it's devastating. Parents, parents who bring your kids to church on a Sunday, who, who have Bibles up on a shelf but never open it, never read it, whose hearts aren't really softened by the gospel, husbands, husbands who might pray before a meal but treat their wives with contempt. All, all of these people are in this category where Jesus is saying, woe upon you, you're unmarked graves. You're actually hindering people's spiritual life when you should be, when you should be filling them with life, pointing them to the source of, of the gospel and all true life. What Jesus is saying really is, look, you can't hide that deadness forever. It's going to have an effect. People are going to find out what you're truly like if you haven't paid any attention inside of you. And there is very harsh words of judgment for people in that position. Here's, um, here's a word that he gives in Matthew 18, verses 5 and 6. Um, he says this, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. See what he's saying there. He was talking about an actual, actual child. But what he's saying is, look, if you're in a position of influence and you cause someone who is more vulnerable spiritually, if you lead them into sin, if you hinder their, their growth and faith, whatever it may be, it'd be better for you to be dead. 
That sounds harsh, but think about the harshness that we have, the, the strict judgment we have in our legal system for those who take advantage of vulnerable people. Those, those who, who abuse children, those who take advantage of, of women, whatever it may be, if there's someone who's in a vulnerable position, we are very harsh and rightly so. Think of the grievousness of, of that act, of that, that wickedness, and times it by eternity. Because that's what's at stake. Jesus is saying you are leading people farther away from the hope of heaven because of your own superficiality. You should be very concerned, Jesus is saying, if you're in that position because God does not look on that lightly. So the second thing that we should be doing, of course, is we should be looking beneath the surface of our own faith. We all need to be examining the inner workings of our heart. What we're seeing here in the, in, the, in the Pharisees is not unique to them. I mean, I mean, all of us, we're wired towards self-glorification, towards pride. It's in the air we breathe as a culture. The whole, everything on social media, every, every, everything's designed to put the focus on us. And it seems good and right to, to puff yourself up, to, you know, to show, you know, brag, or whatever it may be. That, that's, that seems right in the world's eyes. And yet it's not right. It, it's, it's obscuring the true hope that, that God has given us. And notice here in this passage, Jesus doesn't just condemn us as human beings in our sin. He warns us, he rebukes us, but even to the Pharisees here that are at the center of so much that is wrong with the faith of God's people. He still has hope. He gives them hope. Look at verse 41 again. So we're back at the beginning. Remember it said this, but give as alms those things that are within and behold, everything is clean for you. Remember, he's talking about tithing. He's saying, look, give of yourself the things which are within. Meaning open your heart to the things of God. Confess the sins within you. Receive the, the mercy and grace of God. When you do that, you are made clean from the inside out. It's not your power. It's not your strength. It's the spirit of God that actually cleanses you you don't have to defend your own righteousness or, or try to convince everyone of how holy you are. You receive the righteousness and holiness that Jesus brings and you are made new. And, and, and in that case, in that way, you have a genuine faith. You're, you're, you're vibrant and, and truly alive spiritually. And when, when this happens, and it happens because of the gospel, it happens because we can be free from our sin happens because we can have genuine life that goes on forever. When we have this at the center of our faith, that all of the woes that Jesus talked about, they, they get dealt with because we have a proper perspective, right? We aren't warped or skewed. That The big thing remains the big thing, which is the grace of God, the glory of God, the, the cross of Jesus. It also means we have a right focus because we see clearly, look, apart from, apart from God, I'm nothing. And so we, we naturally put the focus on Jesus. And then by the grace of God, we have a beneficial effect in the lives of others because we're living a life of integrity. So listen, I want to close with, um, with I think, a really a beautiful example of genuine faith, of, of, of genuine uh, spiritual living. And I just came across this little story in my study. Uh, it's recounted by a missionary who was doing work in China. And he, he came across this, uh, this woman, a Chinese woman, Christian woman, elderly woman, like a grandma. And uh, he was just captivated by her uh, because she was uh, on the run from the, from the police, had been for years. 
And he sat down and talked with her through a translator. And uh, she had been distributing Bibles um, all over the place for years, giving away thousands of Bibles, not sanctioned by the state. They, they, they were looking for her. And as he talked about the way that she was living, he found out that, you know, she always had to move around. He found out that she only saw her family once a year because she was nervous that if the, the state police found out who her family was and where they were, that they would arrest all of them, which they would have. She only saw her husband once a year, her kids, her grandkids. I mean, think about that for a moment. Uh, ladies, I mean, your husband is one thing, but your kids, your grandkids, like that, that's, that's difficult. We know a little bit of what that's been like in COVID. You probably have not been able to see your family as much. So this man was just, he was astounded by all that she endured, all the sacrifices that she made. And he said to her, look, man, can I take your story back to America? I'd love to tell my, my church so that we can honor you, so we can pray for you. I mean, you're, what you're doing is amazing. Would it be okay if I go and tell your story, tell them about you? And here's how he recounts her response. He said that she looked at him and she smiled, she giggled. And, and she kind of she went like this with her hand, pushed away her hand and said, oh, don't tell them about me. Tell them about Jesus. See, that's what the gospel does in us. Just completely strips away any desire we have for recognition, for, for anyone to pay attention to us. We just, our greatest desire, our greatest joy is for people to know more and more of Christ. I mean, this life that we're called to, it, it is one of difficulty, clearly, for this woman. Great difficulty, great cost, and yet great joy. And the more that we live this life with integrity, examining our hearts, the greater the joy will be, the greater the, the opportunity to bless others. So again, we've kind of been hitting this theme over the last few weeks. Again, I would say, what is going on in your heart? Is there consistency between the things that you say you believe, what's on the outside, what people are seeing every day, and what's actually going on on the inside? I'm going to pray that that would be true and that we would have the, the conviction of heart to confess where we need to confess and to put the focus on Christ. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you for, for this word. I thank you. It's a strong word, Lord. It's a convicting word uh, for the Pharisees, for us as well. Uh, Lord, I, I pray though that we would hear it. I pray, Lord, that we would receive your word and that we would actually examine the areas of our life where we need to, to pay attention. We would repent. We would confess. Uh, Lord, if there are areas of pride where we are just taking the focus off of you, I pray, Lord, that we would see that and we would turn from it. Uh, Lord, I also want to pray for Harvest Bible Chapel. Lord, it's, it's so sad when there's a church that's derailed from their ministry. Um, I pray for James McDonald, that he would grow in humility and that, that things would be made right in his own heart with you and with others. I pray for Jeff. I thank you, Lord, for the gifts and skills you've given him. I thank you for the, uh, the impact he's had here. I pray, Lord, you would use him in a mighty way. I pray, Lord, that, um, that in good time, things would be, um, would be reorientated towards you and that the, the, the ministry there would continue to proclaim the gospel and many more people would be saved. I pray the same for us. Lord, use us, please, in our areas of life, for us here on a Sunday morning throughout the week. Lord, help us to be a benefit to those around us as we point them to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.